Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I have a real treat for you today. I'm joined by Natalie Sisson. She's an adventurer, podcaster, blogger, and number one Amazon best-selling author. She got her first taste of international travel in 2006 and fell in love with the minimalist traveling life living out of a suitcase. In 2010, she quit her corporate career and officially became a suitcase entrepreneur. And since then, she has been inspiring and educating thousands of people how to create a business around a fun idea that they love, and she's really upfront about sharing everything that she's learned. She was at a point where she was couch surfing. She, after six months, she had got to the point where she, oh, excuse me. After six months, she had got to the point where she only had $18 left in her pocket. She managed to get one consulting client and then another and scraped together a modest $30,000 her first year. Now she's making several times that. She's traveled to more than 70 countries, which is more than double what I have. She recently bought a home in Lisbon, where she's calling us from today. And I'm really, uh, it's really a pleasure to have her here because she's someone who's really been around the block and around the world and walking the walk. And Natalie, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Danny. Actually, my house is not in Lisbon. It's about an hour away, but it's near all the surf beaches, so it's even better. Okay, I've seen some of the pictures <laughs> of uh, your home there. Tell me a little bit about it. What's it like? Yeah, I'm loving it. It's crazy to actually have now what is going to be my fourth property, which sounds really odd when you're a suitcase entrepreneur, but I've never had any bases. A lot of them are investments. But this one I really want to have is like a summer European holiday home and to have friends come to stay and have people come and rent it, digital nomads who just want a base that has everything. Um, so it's a three-bedroom townhouse in a really small, sleepy Portuguese village, which I love, so it's very traditional. And then it's about um, three to five kilometers to three amazing beaches that are all great for surfing and sunbathing. Bathing. So it's a pretty ideal spot. There's a medieval castle about 15 minutes away in this beautiful town, and it's a, it's less than an hour to get to Lisbon Airport. So I feel really happy here, and I've only just moved in, um, and I really want to stay here for longer. But I have to head off and do some speaking and traveling. So I'll be back again in a, in a month or so. Tell me a little bit more about your lifestyle there, because I've seen some of your Instagram pictures. I you know I've seen you zipping around on a scooter along the coast and. You told me they had a, a festival last week. Uh, just tell me about some of the fun stuff you're doing over there. I'm really curious. Yeah, it is a different lifestyle, and I think it's just like, probably you know the feeling when you're traveling all the time, I don't think you really get to be part of the culture of a place. You don't get to stay around long enough to really look at all the nuances and the subtleties. So, for example, this morning I got up and I walked out into my balcony and I was stretching and looking at what the day was bringing, and my neighbor was hanging her head out the window to the right, this lovely old lady, and so we just had a little Portuguese conversation, <laughs> pretty limited at the moment. Um but the lifestyle has essentially been getting up and doing some yoga and meditation, making a healthy breakfast. I have one of my team members who's also a friend, but she's staying here as well. So we're trying to get into really good routines of doing exercise first. And um, and then we make breakfast and then we settle down for the morning to do some really focused work. I have a launch coming up, so we've been working on that. And we'll go and break for lunch. We'll go to one of the town cafes or make our own and sit out in the sun in the courtyard and have great chats the whole way throughout the day and then I'm typically been surfing, learning to surf 
um, in the afternoon, evening for a good couple of hours. So it's really lovely, like just to have that time out in the water and nature and that physical exercise and be learning something new. And then we'll find a new restaurant for dinner or there's just so many great places to eat around here. And the wine and food is amazing. It's a little bit too amazing at times. It's so cheap too. Um, so yeah, it's just been like exploring in the afternoon or going to new beaches or finding places that we want and just really focusing in on the main priorities of work in the morning up into the afternoon and just finding that, that good balance of being a local and being a tourist and exploring and also getting the work done that we want, especially in launch time, which is, you know, always fun. Yeah, it sounds like a wonderful lifestyle that you have there. You're, um, and you're also pursuing your passion. You're helping people. You're on a mission to help more than 100,000 entrepreneurs by 2020. How different is this lifestyle compared to the path that you were on with your corporate career back in New Zealand? Oh, totally different. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I think the corporate career was fantastic. Once I got out of university, it provided more structure. It gave me a real insight into how businesses run or don't run very well. Um, it showed me what I liked about it, like, you know, playing with somebody else's budget and pre-existing structures. And um, a lot of my roles were in marketing and then they moved into business development. So I got to see and branding and marketing, sorry. Um, so it was really great to see how they ran that and what they did and then be able to apply that to my own business. But in terms of how my day is like 100% totally different, I can wake up when I want, go to sleep when I want, do exactly what I want, I can choose to work or not. Uh, I can choose where I want to work from, I can choose what I want to work on, and all my work is stuff that's self-directed by me, and part of my strategic plan. So it's usually a real pleasure to work on it because I've set myself the challenge or the task. Um, and I just think it's just amazing when you go back to cities and you see people commuting or, and I get it because we've all been there, but just, I still don't understand the structure of that, um, industry really like the fact that people go to work all at the same time and come back at the same time, which causes mass chaos and, um, the commute and just, it's really inefficient. It's so inefficient. So I'm really looking forward to more corporates allowing flexi working and people to work from home and choose when they come in between seven to 10 and choose what projects they get to work on and just giving people more freedom and flexibility to do better work um, in their jobs and at the same time also for us as entrepreneurs to be just more mindful about how we're working and how much we're putting towards actually enjoying our life. Yeah, why is it that we cling so uh, steadfastly to that old way of doing things where we commute and, you know, I, I live here in Bangkok where it's 10 times worse than it probably isn't there oh, in Portugal. Yeah. Uh, so much lifestyle inertia, you know, that you, so much time you spend just fighting traffic, you know, and you spend two hours a day, you know, commuting to work and just, you know, you're so exhausted by the time you get home that you just pass out on the couch. You don't really have time to uh, spend with your kids or your family. I was just reading about this, uh, this article about these executives who were having these corporate meltdowns, you know, they, they wanted to have like their own parking space. They wanted to have a, cor a corner office. Uh, you know, but then everyone's trying to fight to take what you have and you're just spending your days trying to fight them all away, dealing with other people's problems and it just seems like uh, no way to live your life, but we still, so much of the population still clings to this way of doing things. Yeah, I think part of it is they actually have to because corporates just don't seem to be flexible about this. They're getting there, but you know, like it's still the done deal and it's the way, the hours in which people do business. Um, so sometimes it's just that they have to because otherwise they wouldn't have a job. And then the second part is it, it takes guts and determination to actually 
go against convention and it takes effort and energy and there are very few people who are actually willing to do that and step outside the status quo and go I think there could be something better because of those very reasons like it takes determination it takes guts you're going to have people who are going to disagree with you and typically I think people disagree because they're actually scared or they're intimidated by change um well, they haven't yet seen the vision of how much better it could be for them. So I always find those are the two reasons that people don't make serious change in their life or don't instigate changes, either um, fear or actually laziness because it's just easier to go with the status quo and go with the flow. And yet there's so many people like yourself, like me, who are showing them uh, that another way is possible, yet uh, so many people, I guess, what do you think holds them back? Is it just fear or... Um you know, why, why do a lot of people who try to do something different, why do they fail? Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of things, as I said, so fear or it's just too hard, like it's easier to go with what they are currently doing. But often I think it's because of two reasons. They don't have a really strong vision for the outcome that they'd love to achieve, and so they're not really willing to fight for that. They can't visualize or see exactly how much more awesome their life could be if they chose a slightly different path. And also they probably don't have the community or mentors or support around them to do it. So, you know, on those days when you're feeling a little less inclined to do it, it's great to have somebody nearby who believes in you and says, no, no, I think you can do this. Often they're surrounded by people who are like, are you crazy? Why would you do this? Like, what are you thinking? Like, nobody's ever done that or nobody's achieved that. And that's the last thing you need to hear when you're already doubting what you've set out to do. So typically people succeed when one they have a really clear vision of what it is that they want to achieve and two they have a good support system for those days when they're like ah oh, man this isn't going to work and i've just been watching the olympics as you probably have as well and i look at the determination and the effort and the i guess the sacrifices that those athletes have made to focus on this four-year journey and the support crew that they've hopefully had around them and the training that they've put in to get there i mean if you really want something bad you've got to work at it and they're like a shining example of that. So what does your support crew look like and how do you recommend people uh, build that strong support? Yeah, really great question. Um, I actually have had very few mentors or coaches throughout my life. Um, well, in the sports arena of like ultimate frisbee and tennis and things, definitely that's where I've actually had coaches. But in business, had very, very few um, and that's partly because I think I don't like people telling me what to do. And second, because I, I'm really good at learning and applying. So I'll go out to mentors that I, you know, I think are interesting and read their blogs or read their books or consume what they're doing. And then I'll actually go and apply that, which is different to a lot of other people that I see who will you know, do the whole lifelong learning and learn and learn and learn and never actually put it into action. Um, but I do have some other fantastic friends and entrepreneurs around the world who I meet up with regularly, whose businesses are humming, who I admire, who I love spending time with. And so I prefer to kind of hold masterminds with peers and also with my clients and my community. And that's where I learn so much. And then I've, I've got a team now, which is great. I mean, I've always had team members, but I finally just this year, in fact, in the last three months hired um, two more people, three more people actually, who are now the core part of my team freedom. And it's I'm training them up right now to work with me on launches and take over the business, but I feel like I finally have the right people who are smart and engaged and um, onto it, who have great skills and experience that I can actually trust and hand over to. So I think there's two two parts to that. Um, you know, the mentors and, and peers who you admire and respect and can spend time with, and then your team. And then in addition to that, I just have a really great 
family and friend network um, who are either luckily or fortunately inspired by what I'm doing or just cheering me on. I don't seem to have many people who are like, why are you doing that? And and if they do, that's great. Like I'll, I'll heed their advice, but typically just go on anyway. So I'm pretty lucky that I have friends and family who are just like, yeah, go for it um, and see what I do and, and continue to encourage me to keep doing it. Yeah, I know in my own life I've had to sometimes uh, remove people in my life who kind of sold me short on my dreams, I guess, you know, or mm-hmm. try to, uh, you know, small minds will always try to discourage your ideas and sometimes you have to let certain relationships and friendships go. It's almost like taking out a splinter. It hurts a lot. Uh, but if people, you know, they don't like to see you change, they want you to stay where you are, who, who you've always been, maybe like in college or something like that, uh, it, that can really hold you back, I think. But it doesn't seem like you've had to, to deal with that too much, have you? No, I think I've just been really good over the years of just really firmly believing in what I'm going after and that may be the difference. And I I don't think that's something you, I mean, I think you can train that. You can just be um, consistently put in daily actions to get to where you want. And that's probably the trick. Like I will look at some big, hairy, audacious goals and go, oh my God, I, I just don't know how to achieve that. But instead I'll work backwards from it and go, well, what do I need to do today to take one step forward on getting this going and that's the trick and the key for me so I've always had that inherently within me and I think playing competitive sports um, and just being brought up in an environment where you know anything's possible to a point um, or anything's possible actually has really helped that attitude and but I think that people are capable of learning that and it just takes that consistent daily action that's the the key and I don't think it's something that people realize enough just start small and keep going yeah, and you mentioned a couple of hints there, the big, hairy, audacious goal. I think a lot of us don't have goals that are <laughs> worth going after in the first place, you know? Because um, mm. I, have, I have a mastermind group, and uh, some of the people in there, like, they just have these really small goals. You know, they don't have anything that really, like, excites them, you know, that would really uh, make them well up with emotion and passion. And I think that's a mistake. Um, so tell me, um, who are some of the people that you really look up to? Like, who are some of, give me an idea of some of who are your mentors are, you know, that are even more successful than you are and uh, how do you interact with them? How do you relate to them? How do you learn from them? I don't know. That's a tricky one again because I mean, it's not tricky. I mean, there's lots of people who are in my community or within my friends network, but I don't necessarily see them so much as mentors as, as I said, peers. But there are a couple of people that I think I reach out to for advice. One of those is Gideon Shelwick. I really love that guy. He's based out in Australia. He's had an incredibly successful business, but He's gone from sort of the internet video marketing through into software and I really appreciate how he's pivoted and how he's so determined to do something, you know, like on his own and build great products that really help people as opposed to the online marketing piece um, where you are, you know, helping people through making products and stuff, which is more what I'm doing right now. And, um, you know, John Lee Dumas is a friend, really admire what he's done. He just applies himself so solidly and consistently to taking everyday action and have loved how he's grown with that. Um, One of my really dear friends, Natalie McNeil, is just, she's like this hugely driven, determined, ambitious, gutsy, courageous lady and she's super young still, um, and we've worked together on projects in the past, and I just love her attitude. She's always working on her mindset and leveling up, and she's been shifting her business model. She's always got huge goals, and she has this plan of attack that she works towards to make them happen um, while traveling the world and, and doing lots of good. And, yeah, there's just there's people like that that I'm really 
happy to have in my life and also uh, Jamie Masters who's also over in the US but we're hoping to do some more traveling and catching up but just really impressed with her as a, um, a mother and a parent of, of two kids and building this amazing business and also making a lot of time to be a great mum. So I think there's people who just have such different lives to me um, and all different stages, but you can learn from all of them. Do you, do you notice any common characteristics or personality traits among the most successful achievers? Yeah, and I think there's been some great books and blog posts put out about them, but one is that, I know it seems so unsexy, isn't it, but that daily consistent action, like that's the difference. Um, I also find that a lot of people who get up earlier, and that's something I've been um, bringing into my life more, there is something magical about that time in the morning, but if you get up early, it doesn't have to be insanely early, but if you just carve out that first hour to two for you, and whether that's your writing or your biggest piece of work or that thing that you've been trying to get on top of, um, I do find that people who get up earlier in the morning are just that much more productive and achieve so much more in their day and have a lot more time and balance the rest of the day to do other things that they love. And um, they have a singular like focus on the thing that they are striving to do or achieve or be or create. So those are some of the success traits that I definitely see. And then the ones we've talked about, like surrounding themselves with great people, um, setting those big, hairy, audacious goals. You mentioned daily action, and I wanted to ask you because I think how you schedule your time says a lot about how you live your life. And could you give me a peek into some of the, the best structure that you've set for creating your daily and your weekly schedule? Like, do you have uh, certain days that you focus only on certain things? You know, could you walk me through like what your schedule yeah. typically looks like? Yeah, I do. And I think that took a few years to learn <laughs> because when I was traveling all the time, probably a bit like you, I'm like doing podcast interviews all over the place, any time of the day kind of thing, then trying to find decent internet and a good setup so that it sounded good. And it was just driving me nuts. And I'd have coaching clients and they were at all different hours of the day. And it felt very much like my calendar, and my schedule wasn't my own. And on top of that, I had to really plan my travels and fun time around all these other you know, appointments, even though I love them. So um, a couple of years ago, I just made Monday and Tuesday my days for interviewing my own podcast guests, being on other people's shows and coaching client calls. And the way I did that was I used Calendly, which is my scheduling service, um, to block out. Those are the only times that people can book in. And I'd also set hours so it wouldn't be you could just do that the whole day, but it would just be for certain hours of the day. And it just revolutionized how I worked because suddenly I knew I could put all of those into one to two intense, great days where I get to learn from people, interview people, be interviewed, coach people, feel really on fire. And then the rest of the week is mine to work on the marketing, the finances, the strategy, the fun time, um, the travel, etc. And it just made it a huge difference. Um, it just, you know, taking back over your schedule and not allowing people to access you at all hours is, is actually really a win-win for everybody. Um, and also just being, I've used Asana, Slack and Google Drive all the time. And Asana is just fantastic now for projects and knowing very much about which project is priority and which task within that project is the most important for today. So I've synced that with my calendar and that means that anything, especially during like launch phase, anything that I'm working on today is the thing that I need to be working on, not all these other things that might be on my mind or that I think could be deemed more important. Um, so that's really, really changed things as well for me. And then the trick is just sticking with that, right? Like I, I know a lot of people who are great at writing to-do lists and putting things in their calendars, but then you've actually got to do it. And there's a lot of times I used to put things in my calendar and just ignore them, like 
do meditation now and I'd be like, oh, I think I'll just keep doing this other thing. So another thing that's greatly helped is, and you probably use this, Danny, is the Pomodoro technique. I mean, it's the simplest thing in the world. Set your timer for 25 minutes. Focus on one thing that you want to get done or at least partially done in that time. No other distractions. Turn off internet if you need. And it's brilliant. It's just chunking your time and focusing on one project. So I know a lot of people are like, I can't ever write or I didn't get that blog post out or I haven't finished my you know, year-end accounts. And you pick these 25-minute sessions and you take a short break at the end of it, dance, grab a coffee, do some push-ups, whatever it is, and then you go back into another one. It's so insanely effective and efficient. So when I'm being a little bit more of a procrastinator or not achieving kind of what I want in the day, then I just drop into some Pomodoro sessions, which are brilliant. Yeah, it's so important to have a structure, whether it's Pomodoro, whatever you follow, whether it's the 90-minute cycle. Um, I, I find that uh, there's a really helpful essay by Paul Graham. It's called The Maker's Schedule and The Manager's Schedule. And mm. um, it's, it's really interesting because a, a manager basically sets a bunch of appointments. You know, they have a bunch of calls and meetings. And for them, it's nothing at all. They just schedule as many meetings as they possibly can manage. But a maker, you know, like a programmer, someone like a writer, uh, they need like three or four hours of uninterrupted focus to do the hard kind of work. You know, you can't just do an hour of work and then have a 30-minute meeting and then work some more and then have another meeting, you know, because they're two completely different disciplines. And so I, I find that to, it's uh, it's an essay by Paul Graham. I think you can Google it. It's just maker schedule, manager schedule. And so I found that to be really helpful when I was doing kind of what you're doing and, and scheduling all my calls, my marketing on one day, my emails, um, and then setting aside other days just for doing creative work that was really helpful for me. I love that. Yeah. So tell me more, because um, you know one of the benefits of your your freedom plan is you say that uh, you say that you have five steps to reclaim ten hours a week and also double revenue. I'm curious to to know some of these. So. Uh, <laughs> well, you can watch my free training. <laughs> no, I mean I put that together because I just think it's so important. Like a lot of my audience are established business owners and they've kind of worked themselves into a job whereby, yeah, they might be earning quite good money, but they're working really hard, like too many hours a week. And so my whole endeavor is to give you more freedom in business and adventure in life. And that comes from systems and outsourcing and just, you know, understanding where your priorities lay. So I put together this free training I put on my site and it's been great. Um, people have been, you know, watching it and going through it and hopefully it's been making a difference because essentially it's talking all about how do you take um, the key things that are on your plate and chunk that down, put that into um, some format like a standard operating procedure or I call it a sexy operating procedure um, that it literally writes out a task that you're doing every single day that you probably shouldn't be doing anymore. Like an example might be you're still writing your own blog posts, formatting them, publishing them, doing everything. And it may seem like a simpler task, but it's probably taking you one to two hours of your day. And that could probably be put to something better where you're either generating more revenue or working with clients or working on new products, whatever it may be, or maybe going out and surfing. Um, and so it's essentially about how do you get these off your plate where you transfer that knowledge in the clearest possible way to somebody else that you can train up and do the job so that for future they can be doing it um, potentially at half the speed and definitely less in terms of cost to use that you can focus on other things. And it's it's something that we don't tend to do because sometimes it's quicker. We think it's quicker for us to just do it rather than to actually go about hiring somebody, training them, and handing it over. And so that opt-in is all about showing you how to make it as easy as possible and how to do it and repeat that process for every other 
task that's boring you or frustrating you or that you just shouldn't be doing because it's not the best use of your time and energy. And even though you say all this stuff and it makes sense, I find that there's still some people who are resisting what you're saying, you know, because I, I have a client in mind who, you know, I, I ask her, like, have you done the stuff you said you were going to do? Have you worked on your brand? You know, have you done all this stuff for your own business? And she says, no, I'm, I'm so busy with client work. I never got around to any of that stuff. You know, so, so there's people that are just like, they're not, they don't think like systems people, you know, they're still technicians, they're still doing what they do best and they just kind of ignore all the other stuff. Yeah, and I actually I do talk about that in the training and in the free handout that comes with it is that it's because it just takes that extra bit of energy to hand that over once. And, you know, people also get put off by, well, what if I don't trust this person or what if they're not good enough? I mean, that's all part of life. That's called experimenting and trying and also trusting your gut and being very clear on who you need to hire initially, starting with a small task and building up from there. It's that small task daily action thing again. So I think people do it because they're a little fearful or lazy. It always comes back to those two things, doesn't it? They're scared of doing it or they just can't be bothered. But if you actually add up how many hours you're spending doing that still and the lost revenue from not working on the things that you love, like imagine how many more clients she could serve if she was able to hand over the process after speaking to the clients that was handled by a virtual assistant who could do all the admin and all the streamlining, all that process and making the client feel loved. But that's one less thing on her plate. So she could actually fit in another client, um, change somebody else's life, earn a lot more, and not have to be dealing with that. How about this inner game thing? Because I'm always feeling uncomfortable all the time as an entrepreneur because I'm doing something <laughs> different, it seems like, every single day. You know, one day I'm doing programming, one day I'm doing marketing stuff. But I, I find that, like, every Friday, I try to dedicate every Friday to just learning and trying to implement something in the systems, whether it's, like, a new software you know, but I still feel uncomfortable about trying new things. Do you ever encounter this kind of uncomfortable resistance whenever you try to do something new? Yeah, I mean, I think it's great that you're feeling uncomfortable every day. I know it's not the loveliest feeling in the world, but it does mean growth. It means that you're stepping out of your comfort zone and you're pushing your boundaries. So I think as an entrepreneur, we just have to get used to dealing with feeling uncomfortable, feeling inadequate, feeling like sometimes we're not enough, we're not expert enough, we're not earning enough, there's not enough money coming in. I mean, I know it sounds pretty shitty and people would be like, why Why would you go to all this effort to run your own business? But it's it's the fact that you're working on new things, that you get to change people's lives, that you get to experiment and you get to do it all on your own terms and that you get to be totally in control of your day and what you're, you know, what you're working on and what you're working towards. So I think it's good to just get in that practice of going, okay, I'm going to feel uncomfortable here, but know that I'm working towards things that are making a difference. Um, and then the other thing is to actually step back sometimes, Danny, and just look at how far you've come. And I don't think we celebrate enough as entrepreneurs what we've done. Like when I had my first sale online, I was super excited. When I got my first 30 people registering for a webinar, I was thrilled. When um, you know I, I did my first talk and actually got paid for it, I was like, oh my gosh. And so it's celebrating those milestones of where you've come from to where you're heading, I think is really important because often we get stuck in the um, emulating game of that person's doing so much better than me. We're always looking at somebody else's progress as opposed to ours. And that's where I think a lot of that fear and um, pressure and un discomfort comes from. So I think celebrating those milestones is really important too. Yes, I feel like we don't celebrate the good things enough. You know, we always, we often tend to focus on the next thing we want to do. Or I, I notice that myself, I make this mistake where I devote an inordinate amount of mental RAM to uh, someone who 
upset me, I guess, rather than focusing on the good people or the good things in my life. I, I don't know why the, the mind tends to do that, but it's, it's almost like a, a kind of a mental trap that I fall into sometimes. Yeah, it's it's not that you fall into it. It's actually a very natural process, the whole looking at other people and not focusing on what you want to be achieving. So I think many milestones and just appreciating where you've come from and just focusing on the next couple of steps, not the huge picture that daunts and scares us. You need to do that every so often, but just coming back to those, what can I do today that's going to make a difference? And celebrating those wins, the things that you've already done well. Exactly, with champagne and friends. And <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the people that you work with, what other mistakes do they make and how do you help them? Uh, great question. What other mistakes do they make? Um, uh, so many. As I said, I think the biggest thing that I've realized over the years is, is having that clear vision about what's your, I call it the painted picture. So it's like a vision for your life and business, but three years from now, and you write it in the present tense, I, I take people through it, my freedom plan, it's a really powerful, really powerful exercise. So the point of it is to say, if you can envisage yourself three years from now doing the things that you want to do, then you can work backwards from that point. But by just actually putting yourself in your shoes of being there already, so the Danny Flood that's at a point that you want to be in three years from now, how many um, readers of the magazine do you have, how many listeners to your podcast, how many stages are you speaking on, how many new languages have you mastered, whatever it may be that really... Um, lights you up it's incredible when you put it in the present tense and start talking about it publicly and put it out publicly for friends and your community to see you just start working towards it and things just start to happen so I know when I put my one out um, in the first six months I'd already achieved 60% of it. it was crazy I'd written and published my first book and um, then like my recent one it was to speak at TEDx and that came off which was amazing and the reason for that is I put it out there and I, I talked about it on my podcast and I said here's one of my goals and my painted picture and a few people listened and said look I can probably put you in touch with somebody here are some ways to go about it and so it just it happens it's amazing and I would say a lot of my coaching clients who I don't work with many people one-on-one -on -one anymore um, but even people in my freedom plan program it's always almost always the same issues that everybody has and I think that's the fascinating thing about it is that we all are facing the same challenges but because we're often operating in silos we don't uh, we don't see that other people are struggling with the same things so the self-doubt and the fear and the maybe the lack of revenue months um, you know am I really meant to be doing this uh, so I think it's just always those fears and doubts that are so natural to people when you are trying to grow and change things and um, go against the convention and build something that matters and it's just I think if people were more willing to acknowledge that you're going to be constantly having those fears or insecurities but that's a natural part of the process and actively wanting to work on it so once again surrounding themselves with the right people watching great TED talks training or learning a new skill when they need to when they're feeling and just constantly checking back on feedback of how they're doing and celebrating the win. People doing that often. Their lives would just be that much more fun. Okay, wow, that was a great answer there, Natalie. So I was nodding along to what you were saying there. I think it's so important to share your goals publicly because I find that if I keep my goals to myself, I'll sell myself short. I don't act on them. You know, I just kind of keep them to myself forever. But when I put them out there, you know, in my mastermind group or with my friends, my peer group, uh, then I, have, I suddenly have to account for what I say. You know, I have to do what I say I was going to do. And I can often get help and connections that way. And so I know myself, like one of my biggest goals, one of my dream goals is to fly around the world in a hot air balloon. And, oh, you know, awesome. Yeah. 
because I needed something that was going to make me feel excited, you know. And I, I just, but but when I when I shared it with my group of friends, you know, suddenly I have to I have to report back to them a month later and say, you know, what progress did I make? And and I say, well, I need to volunteer. I need to get my pilot's license, you know, so I learn how to fly the balloon. Uh, but but if I didn't share it, I feel like it would just it would just be put on the shelf forever. And so I think that's really important. Absolutely. I love that. That's a great goal. <laughs> you know how long that'll take? Uh, I, I did a lot of research on it. I was researching Richard Branson and his trips. Um, so, you know, the first step I need to do is I need to, there's a, a balloon company in Chiang Mai, so I'll go up there and, uh, you know, just offer to volunteer for maybe a week or two, see how long it takes so that I get the training. And then I just have to get a license and then uh, a hot air balloon that could, could do this type of trip might cost upwards of 20000 so I'd either need to save the money or, or do a crowdfunding campaign or find a sponsor. But it's definitely within reach. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, getting the training and then uh, charting a course and raising the money. So Love it. There you go. You've already been. And you just put it out there publicly, so now we need to make it happen. On the podcast, no less. So I <laughs> Exactly. Got to put my money where my mouth is. So... Uh, tell me a little bit, I'm, I'm curious to know a little bit more about your freedom plan and especially, I, I know that your freedom plan is really about showing people ways that they can make money online. Can you recommend some of the different vehicles or some of the things that you're focusing on with that course? Yeah, it's actually much more than that. I'd like to think it's split out into mindset, business and lifestyle because I think we've just talked a lot today about the mindset and that's the most critical piece. If you don't have that going on, I think everything else is just that much harder. So it kind of goes through a lot around visioning and you paint a picture in your perfect day and the mindset you need and then into actually really choosing the right business model that's going to work for you. And I have a lot of people in my community who just want to simply stay at home. They love their house. They have a family, but they want to have more time more quality time with people. So it's choosing a business model that's not going to keep them chained to their computer or to their clients. Um, and typically the ones that I'm discussing in there are how do you turn your skills, knowledge and experience into products or services that you can sell that are either residual, as in once you've put them out there, they continue to make you money each month. I never ever say passive because I don't think anything is truly passive. But how can you set up systems and products and services that will continue to bring in revenue for you with minimal work? Um, and then also looking at the type of person you are, because for some people, like I love speaking, I love holding live masterminds and retreats that I do around the world, and they're not necessarily the most profitable ventures for me, but I personally come alive when I'm doing them. So it's good for me to acknowledge that I want those in my business model, um, but then also fitting things into business models that work so that when I'm traveling uh, and I want to be offline for a couple of weeks or even longer, my business isn't just going to fall apart because I'm not there, which is partly why I've been building a team and products that go in with that. So it's really getting people to acknowledge what type of business model is going to suit you, your lifestyle, and your personality. And from there, then you can kind of go and pick what your revenue streams are going to be and the best ways for you to make make money, but also make a difference. I wanted to ask you, because you, you dropped kind of a hint there, what are some of the best ways to create sustained residual income? You know, Because there's a lot of ways that you can launch products online, you can launch a book and um, you know, maybe it'll make some money in its first month, but then it doesn't uh, really, it's not really sustainable, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. So what are some of the more sustainable ways to make money? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, mean so like, like, I feel like because I've experienced this myself, I mean, I, I didn't make a dollar online until the beginning of last year when I published my first book, and I just, yeah. <coughs> excuse me, I feel like I went through a lot of churn and burn and always having to come up with another idea. How do you 
uh, recommend people create something that's like more sustainable residual income. Uh, any marketing uh, insights or anything like that? that yeah, I mean, it's such a huge topic. Where do you start? But essentially, at the end of the day, it all comes back to knowing who do you want to be serving? Like, who is your ideal customer? Who are you wanting to help? And what are their key challenges? Because if you can tap into that and really understand where they struggle, what they need, uh, then you're going to continue to make and create offerings for them that they're going to absolutely lap up because you're going to be speaking on their language. You're going to be giving them exactly what they need at the time that they need it most. like So it's all about understanding what do they really want, what are they struggling with, and how can I solve that within your experience, knowledge, and skills that you currently have. And I think the biggest mistake that I see is people going, oh, I'd love to do some course around this. Uh, what if I should just make it, put it out there, and see if people buy it, which is just such a backwards way of doing it. Like I always think the best way is to ask people what they're struggling with, turn around and then say, hey, here's this thing that I built for you based off what you're struggling with, and have them buy it before you've even built it to prove that there is a market out there and that you've actually hit on the right thing. So that's I know that's a bigger like overarching way of looking at it, but if you do that, then anything that you create and market well um, is going to continue to bring you in revenue that you can then invest back into more people, into teams, into better products and services. And this is coming from someone who has eight different income streams, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've cut down on a few of them, but absolutely, yeah, like from my book to speaking to um, promoting other people's products and services and tools that I can't create myself but love and use myself. Um, through to my own products, programs, retreats, and workshops. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I like having a diverse stream of revenues because you can't ever rely on one. But then I also know people who just have, you know, got it down to one one or two, and that's brilliant. So I think, once again, it comes back to what sort of personality you are and how much complexity or simplicity you want in your business. There's a lot of power in just focusing in on one thing and doing it really well. So I appreciate that and people as well. Yeah, so some great hints there too. So interviewing the people that you serve, find ways to serve them better, and as simple as that, right? Yeah, just as simple as that. But no, you know, I think it's the step that most people miss. They just kind of start doing something. They don't even think about who who's actually interested in this or who are they really wanting to help, whose struggles do they see. And often people will choose themselves initially as their ideal avatar. So they might have struggled with being able to buy the right you know, swimsuits for their size or shape or their age and then they start creating that and then people start loving that because they have the same problem. That's a that's definitely a good way to start. But typically you're gonna take yourself out of the equation and look at like what's a real problem that, that people are experiencing, even if it's a small one, but that they would actually pay you money for to either achieve more of it or be able to do it more easily or to have a solution to what they're experiencing. Right, Richard Branson said that all entrepreneurs are really just problem solvers. That's all we do. Exactly. And I, I find that so many people, like I see these these questions posed in like Facebook groups and stuff, and people are asking, how can I make money online? You know, how can I get more clients for my business? And I almost feel like they're just they're asking the wrong questions. It's like looking through the wrong end of a telescope. You know, you should be focusing on talking to your market and seeing how can I help them better rather than how can I, you know, make more money myself. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. So tell me a little bit more tell me more about the highlights of your lifestyle because you've been in a digital nomad for quite a while now. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you, have you ever gotten burnt out about travel or you know just like living this lifestyle because I know that you're li you have a base now. Um, tell me tell me some more I don't know tell me what the journey's been like. <laughs> I'm just curious to know. 
Yeah, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? Because as I just said at the beginning, I've just, you know, bought another property and it seems strange to people, but I've been doing it for six years living um, out of a suitcase around the world with no base. And I, what I've realized in the last year, year and a half is just how much I strongly desire to have a small base that, uh, or a base bases around the world that I can come to and just feel like I'm home or feel like I have this sort of peace and tranquility and a place that I can invite people into. So um, I've been turning up on other people's doorsteps and hotels and Airbnbs and traveling like crazy for years. And now I feel like I want to bring people to me so that they can travel um, and come and experience it. It just feels like a fair, a fair deal. And I think that's just because at the end of the day, traveling is incredible. It teaches you so much. You get so many opportunities. It makes you feel humble. It widens your horizons. It gives you new perspectives. It certainly keeps you on your toes. But it's also incredibly tiring and um, you know, it takes a lot of planning and a lot of energy and there's jet lag and all those things and the constant change and upheaval is not for everybody. I personally love it. I love managing projects. I like the challenge. I like, you know, as you said, solving problems, but there's also a certain point and maybe a certain age that you get to where you're like, hmm, I think I just want to relax a bit more or chill a bit more or, um, as I said, like explore places and have deeper meaning and more communities within those. So spend longer amounts of time and fewer places and really understand the culture. And that's the place that I'm getting to now. It sounds like you're doing quite a bit of that based on the, uh, what you were telling me last week about this, this festival. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like quite an experience. Sleepy little town of about 8,000 people that I'm that I bought my house in has a once a year festival. All of the the districts around Portugal do it in August because it's the summer month and holiday month. And um, yeah, so for five days in a row, from about nine o'clock at night till the sun rose, there was music and huge stage, like huge stage in this tiny little town. Thousands of people, stalls, music, food, drink, um, you know, like one euro for a sangria and amazing meals for like seven euros and just nuts. But the thing is I'm one block away from the main square, like literally one street over, best location in the world. So it felt like the party was happening in my bedroom, um, which was really fun, but also hugely disruptive for sleep. <laughs> and I did go out a few times to experience it. But, you know, when you've got work that you want to do in the morning or calls, or you just want to make the most of your day and go surfing, it just was quite, um, when we spoke, I was just like in the thick of it going, I can't handle this anymore. And ironically, the final day of that week, there was no festival, it stopped. And it was like a ghost town around here just immediately after. And that night was so quiet that I couldn't sleep because I was just so used to waking up. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but certainly an amazing experience. Like they love to, it wasn't so much that they love to party. They're just a late night people here. And Portuguese culture is all about family and friends and conversations and enjoying life. So I really love that about them. And that's part of why I've bought a place here and I want to spend more time here. And they've mastered that siesta so that they can help manage all of that, all those late nights and time with their friends too. Exactly. But yeah, that's that's great. So life is really all about experiences like that, moments like that. And you've had so many around the world and I can definitely relate to that feeling. And I just feel like, you know, travel really made me realize how just, I guess, unimportant and just not really special that I am. You know, I'm just kind of a speck in this big globe. But I think it's also really empowering. You know, it's humbling, but it's also really empowering. And, and you can just open yourself up to all of the things that the world has to offer you. Exactly. Yeah. Very nice. That's a great uh, sentiment to sign this one off on. Thank you so much for your time, Natalie. 
You're so welcome. Thank you so much for uh, all the great questions and allowing me to share a bit of my story and hopefully some valuable tips for people to apply to their lives. I had one more question for you, and that's just I just wanted to ask you what's next, and uh, do you have any big, hairy, audacious goal that you're uh, in your sights right now? Yeah, uh, always, but um, I need to redo my painted picture because a big part of this sort of investing in properties has really opened up my eyes to what about I create a digital nomad hub for people to be able to stay at some of these places. So there's definitely, I've always loved real estate and on the horizons is how can I do more of this and set up incredible bases where there's fast internet, there's everything that people need at their fingertips, but they get to be a part of the local culture um, and just make it easier for them. Because I know after all these years of traveling, I would have loved to have and just know that there were bases ready for me around the world. Uh, so that's something that's a little further down the track, but I think could potentially be a business opportunity within that and fits perfectly within to this lifestyle and what I'm doing. And another big part is my right to freedom movement, which is uh, a, another business that I'm getting off the ground, but that's going to really dig deeper into what does freedom mean to people, how do you define it, and how do you have more of it in your life. So I feel there's going to be a profiling test in there, some software, and um, a, a whole new challenge for me to dig into that pretty vast topic. So that's on the agenda to really be tackling more of this year and into the next couple of years. And so if someone wants to get more goodies from you, where do you recommend they start? <laughs> <laughs> I love the way of putting that. Um, suitcaseentrepreneur.com would be wonderful if you came across there. Um, you can find my blog, my podcast, and just a ton of free resources on my site. That would be excellent. And if they want to check out Right to Freedom and actually take the short survey, it's, it's right as an R-I-G-H-T with a two, the digit two, and then freedom.com. So you can find out more about that too. And, of course, I'm all over social media. So they can find me at Natalie Sisson pretty much everywhere. Okay, so you can just Google Natalie Sisson or <laughs> Entrepreneur because she's, she's everywhere. You just recently did a TED Talk as well. I did. That's well, a good point. Can, about that. How did yeah. that go? I'm, I'm curious. It was um, probably one of the best experiences of my life and also one of the scariest and, and just, yeah, it was incredible how it became a big deal. It was very important for me that I could share the message around creating your own freedom plan and truly living your life. And I did talk a little bit more what we've spoken about here about that commute and giving up on that life and really going after something that you want to chase with all your heart. And so it was quite an emotional journey as well because I talk about losing my dad last year and how my vision of freedom changed quite significantly for me. It was to be able to just drop anything in that moment and be with family and the most important people in my life. And so I just really want it to be shared with the world so more and more people can really take action and, and understand what their vision of freedom looks like. And it was an incredible experience. I I, I didn't I felt underprepared initially, but then realized I'd prepared more than I probably realized just living this life and really creating this story and putting it out there. So it was a fantastic experience and so I was really honored to do. Do you think that you felt scared because you, you felt a little bit unprepared, you said? Because uh, I think a lot of people would be like, what? Natalie Sisson, she seems so confident. I, I wouldn't imagine that she would be uh, feeling fear. Or, uh, I mean, in the end, I think I was prepared, but I'd just come off World Championships, so I hadn't. I felt like I wanted to do a lot more practice, but I also know in myself I'm best when I just sometimes ad-lib and get up there. But it's the first time I've prepped and really almost learnt a talk that I wrote and the crafting of the talk was probably one of the most challenging trying to condense that down into 15 minutes or less but still make it meaningful so that was a real challenge in itself and then to learn it and to make sure that it 
it came across genuine and it was a real story that didn't get lost. I think it was more that if this is going to be on a main stage and go global, I really wanted to make sure that the message was getting across and that's the scary part, right? So that's why you always just feel quite a daunting task to do that. But it was brilliant for me in so many ways. It made me step up in so many ways. It was a great, as I said, it was a great experience. I just wanted to ask you one thing. Um, Do you have any uh, technique or exercise that you perform to... um, help you feel more confident before you go on that stage? Yeah, I actually spoke to a friend and client, Sinesh Stevens, so I'll give her a bit of a shout out, and she said to set your intention. So I actually, on my shoes, I wrote what was the one thing that I wanted people to get out of watching my talk. And I we got to the nuts and bolts of it, and I said, I want people to choose freedom. And so I wrote choose on one, one shoe on the base of it and freedom on the other. So whenever I was walking on the stage which I was trying not to walk around too much but every time I was taking a step I was very much in my mind thinking choose freedom choose freedom so it really helped ground me um, and make sure that the intention and focus of my talk was was what I wanted it to be Um, also I practiced in the mirror and I videoed myself and I also did audio so that I could really understand where the inflection points were in my voice so I, I did you know I did talk to um, TEDx coaches and people beforehand they do give you quite a bit of a hand as much as you want really but um, I watched other TED talks and I just really was mindful of like how can I be the best that I can be on this day um, and on the morning of I just visualized myself really rocking that stage and and coming across confident but also relaxed and I actually almost looked too relaxed I think so yeah I just visualized myself nailing that talk and focusing on the people that I wanted to deliver it to not me it's not about me it's about the message so I think that really helped and I would advise that for anybody doing a talk always think about um, the person that you're delivering it to not yourself it takes a lot of pressure off you to just focus on what do I want them to walk away with today I love that so setting your intent visualizing yourself being successful and um, you just prepared you watch other talks you saw how other people were doing it and uh, if you want to watch that talk go to you can google the surprising truth about freedom by Natalie Sisson, our honored guest on the podcast today. Thank you so much again for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.